Hi friend, you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having crawled through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, have you ever wondered whether the Bible is actually trustworthy? Or are you a Christian who has ever stressed thinking about what you might say if someone actually asked you about why Jesus is so special? Well, guess what? Today, we're going to be talking about those deep topics and more. And today's returning guest, well, he spent years preparing for conversations like this. And that's good because I think our February co-host, Tori Carpenter, is going to do a very good job of asking him some tough questions today. I'll do my best. I guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) So before we officially welcome back today's co-host and our returning guest, I want to take a moment and highlight one of our sponsors. Joe and Shannon Moore, thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for believing in its mission. And thank you for giving me, well, life. I'm thankful to be your daughter. And now, friend, I'm serious about this. If you're a regular listener of the Finding Something Real podcast and the content here inspires or challenges you, would you please consider supporting us through Patreon? The way Patreon works is you give monthly financial support to creative endeavors you believe in. For everyone who signs up to support this show, we have special content over there that you'll receive, including a monthly bonus episode where I chat with each month's co-host about what impact, if any, this journey has had. Your financial support helps keep this show going, and more information can be found on my website at findingsomethingreal.com. End of commercial. So friend, I am excited you're listening to season four where I'm inviting co-hosts and guests on to share their stories and also asking guests to address some of my co-hosts' honest questions. If you haven't already listened to my co-host share her personal story and questions she has about Christianity on the podcast, I encourage you to please go back and take a listen. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, but I'm pleased to say that as of now, she keeps coming back. So Tori Carpenter, I'm so glad that you came back today. I'm so glad to be back. This is fun for me. (laughs) So far, Tori, how have you felt about this co-hosting gig here? Uh, I think it's really fun, but I also feel like it's a really safe place to ask the questions that I have. So I feel really comfortable. I think it's been a great experience. Good, good. Maybe your endorsement will help other young people come forward and say, yeah, that would be fun to do it too. If you're interested in being uh, co-host this season. We have a link on my website. Go over to my website, again, findingsomethingreal.com and click on be a co-host or something like that. Uh, we'd love for you to fill that out if you're a young woman and interested in talking about faith. 
Today, friend, we are excited to welcome back a friend to this podcast. He's an apologist who studied in the UK, looking into theology, science, and philosophy, and he spent the last couple of years traveling and speaking on, as he puts it, quote unquote, this stuff. I'm excited to welcome back to the, to the podcast, the very amiable and intelligent Casey Leander. Casey, welcome. Oh, wow. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> no, I just wanted to use the word amiable when I introduce someone from the UK because I love that word. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a $10 word. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't know if I have $10 of no. amiability. <laughs> yeah, that's a great word. Well, it's a Jane Austen word. Do they actually use it in the UK? I mean, is it Frequently. commonly? Frequently. Okay. Yes. As they drink tea. It really is. I love the UK. I, I'd go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. How long did you live there? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, lived, I lived in the UK for a year. So just a year. Um, but I studied uh, through the ACA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, uh, and then a part-time course through Wycliffe Hall, Oxford as well. So Wow. Uh, and did I catch that you love Jane Austen? I do love Jane Austen. I'm man enough to admit it. Come on. <laughs> Give me some of that Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> okay. The first line in Pride and Prejudice is one of the best lines ever in a first Absolutely. book, like in a book, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the whole yeah. book, it only gets better from there. So. Can you quote it? I can't remember. It's uh, it's a truth universally known that every woman uh, or every man. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll I can't it quote it. Notes. I can't quote it, but I know. Do you know it, Tori? It's so good. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, know. she was amazing. Um, so Casey, you were on this podcast before last fall, and I asked you some big questions about God's character. Uh, we'll link that episode as well in the show notes. I, it was super helpful for me personally. And if you're listening, I'd encourage you, um, especially anyone listening who's wondering if God is actually good, to go take a listen to that episode because it really encouraged me. But Casey, I reached out to you and told you about my friend Tori, and you wanted to come back on here today and share. Why? Oh, man. Well, first of all, Tori, it really is. It's amazing to meet you. And um, I listened to the first uh, sort of podcast you guys recorded where you just shared your story and um, was really, really just grateful and impressed by how vulnerable you were willing to be with that stuff. Um, You know, those of us raised in Christian backgrounds who have been in church a lot realize that despite sometimes everyone's best intentions, it becomes hard sometimes uh, to be honest and to be real with where we're at with struggles with faith. And so for you to just, um, take that step and just, um, and really share, I, I really, I love that. And, um, and I do get to do this for a job, but the reason I, I do it. And the reason I love it, I would do this for free. This, whatever this is, it's just, you are doing this for free (laughs) sign up for Patreon and maybe not. (laughs) Exactly. Um, it's just talking about the most important things in life. That's it. And, um, and we can't do too much of that. Um, and we also can't be too honest with where we're at with those things. So um, I actually think that your example that you're setting, I would want other Christians in church, sitting in church right now, to take a page from your playbook and just be really, really honest with where they're at with God. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, I think God gives us a lot of grace in that process. Even as a Christian, even, you know, obviously my cards are on the table. I think it's true. And my goal is to help 
show people, at least what I've seen, that's convinced me that, that it's true. But I think God's very gracious with us in that process. And I know, I know he's been gracious with me. And so, um, yeah. So anyway, thanks. It's, it's great to meet you. And I'm, I'm really thrilled to dive into some of these questions. So you can't ask uh, too hard of a question, not because I'll have the perfect <laughs> answer, but just because, you know, uh, I think the best model of talking about God that I've seen is that no question should be off limits. Hmm. really. And, and I think that's what's modeled for us in scripture anyway. So. Thanks. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, you're, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we can, I can ask some of Tori's questions or Tori. I mean, he's willing to accept any hard, hard question oh and he's already listened to your first episode. I think one thing I'll start and then you guys can take it away. Um, one thing that I see is a, a very foundational piece is how can we actually trust the Bible? Because if we can't trust the Bible, everything else falls apart, right? I mean, am I right, Tori? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a huge one I've had because I think I've struggled with the thought of like, why do I think of these 66 books that have been compiled are perfect and like held as sacred? And then um like I, have, I was having a conversation with a friend once and I was expressing this question that I had and these concerns. And she goes, well, if you don't have the Bible, what do you have? And I'm like, exactly. What do you have? And, and can we trust it? I, I don't know. It's just a yeah. thought I've had. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I remember you bringing that up on that first episode. And honestly, it's, it's massively important that we ask that question because especially looking at a world that's more integrated and more globalized than ever before, which is a I think a deeply good thing we're exposed to different viewpoints and different holy books and different, you know, there's as many impressions of God as there are people alive on the earth. And so for me, that, that question links to, can we know anything about God in the first place? And like, why should I trust my holy scriptures over my Muslim friends version? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because the question that I have is like, we in the Christian world think that the Bible is it. But when you look at other religions, they have their own version of the Bible that they think is it. So who's, who's right? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, and, and there is, there's a lot, there's been a lot of debate around scripture. Um, I mean, maybe I can lay out a case that for me has been helpful, but I really want to do that with the, it's sort of laying out a buffet <laughs> and I want you to just go like, what about that? What about that? You know, okay. come at, yeah. So, so, um, while I was at the ACA, um, one of my uh, absolute favorite lecturers was a guy named Keith Small, uh, and he's passed away um, since then, but he was absolutely incredible. He was a, an expert in, in Islam and in uh, Quranic manuscripts, but he was a devoted uh, Christian. But he said something that's really stuck with me. He said, Muslims believe in God's word made text. So when you look at what Muslims believe, they believe that the Quran is in Arabic, uh, word for word, punctuation for punctuation, sitting at the, the feet of the throne of Allah. And when he gave Muhammad the vision of what the Quran was, Muhammad transcribed that exactly perfect word for word. And, and so God's word entered in, and became literally the Quran. And so when you look at how Muslims treat their scripture, they have a very elevated view of the book itself. They, they actually... Um, we'll try not to touch it with their hands. If they're reading that, you'll see sometimes actually beautiful works of Islamic art, these silver uh, pointer fingers, and they'll use that to, so they don't uh, spoil the page with their hands. Um, 
a very high view of, of like the artifact of scripture uh, itself. And Christians, obviously, and, and I would say as a Christian, I believe in biblical doctrines like inerrancy, right? That, that, um, that God didn't include errors in the final version uh, of scripture or, or the, the inspired version of scripture. And I believe in inspiration of scripture. But while Muslims believe in God's word made text, First and foremost, I believe in God's word made flesh. And so that traces back to John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word, right? And, and it's referring to Jesus. And it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus reaffirms that throughout his ministry. He says, um, if you claim to know the father, but you don't know the son, then you don't actually know the father. If you want to know what God the Father is like, the God, the creator of the cosmos, you have to look at me. You have to look at the Son. You have to look at the, the, the logos, you know, the divine, uh, perfect way that God would reveal himself to man. Um, that's me. And so, um, so Jesus really is the cornerstone on which all of our beliefs about Scripture rises, uh, rise and fall. Um, uh, without Jesus, I think I'd be comfortable saying that that I wouldn't have some airtight logical case to believe in the inspiration of the Psalms or Job. Um, I believe God would be really, uh, uh, I think he, he can and does reveal what's true to the individual human heart. And he's done that through history. But if I'm looking for a rational, logical case, Jesus is my cornerstone because because I know who Jesus was, because he said, um, I'm not just a teacher. I, I actually am God's word made flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm the son, right? Uh, in whom the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. When I tell you that you can trust the Old Testament, it means you can, you can trust the Old Testament. And when I say to my apostles, hey, um, on this rock, he says to Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. Then that, that carries forward, right? And then the apostles, we call that apostolic authority that the apostles right after Jesus were commissioned by him um, to build the church. And so we take what they wrote as authoritative over the Christian walk. And so, so that's kind of a bare minimum, like bare bones, logical structure around um, why I, why I believe in scripture. And I think Christians take different angles. Like some Christians will, will go all the way up to inerrancy. And they mean that in the strictest sense, like, like there's not a single factual error in scripture. Like when Luke tells you what harbor they went to, um, there's, that's not an error, even if we don't know that yet from archeology. span And, and I actually think that's, that viewpoint is um, a lot more plausible than people think. Um, uh, and, and, I, you know, I myself really do lean towards inerrancy, but even at a minimum, I think there are other Christians who say, Hey, because Jesus is the, the cornerstone here, um, uh, the the gospels are allowed to have discrepancies in them that if they don't undermine the central reliability of the the historical case, it's okay that that you know one person says there's two angels, one person says there's three, um, uh, stuff like that. Um, uh, so I'll just I'll leave it there. There's a lot more to say. Um, I find that case compelling, but I find it more compelling the more I dive into it. Like from a twenty thousand foot view, it might look like okay, great, but but, um, but I, I think when you press into that case for scripture, it holds up. So, okay, there's the buffet and, um, you know, any comments or like literally anything, you know, any questions you have, um, I think it's good. Did, did Jesus ever say you can totally trust the Old Testament? 
wish I knew the answer. I don't actually know. No, fair question. Yeah. He said, yeah, he did. Um, essentially he did. He said, uh, I make no mistake. He doesn't say make no mistake, but he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And he says, um, uh, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he says, um, Anyone who teaches anyone to disobey even the smallest commandment and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus's view of everything that came before him is in- incredibly high. Yeah, because I, rem- I mean, I obviously knew that. Like he said, like, uh, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Sometimes I've wondered, uh, like, there's such a, the God is portrayed as so angry and vengeful and filled with wrath in the old testament and sometimes i've wondered i have nothing to back this up like i don't i couldn't quote you scripture it's just a thought i've had but um sometimes i've wondered like when i when people wrote the old testament and when those stories were written jesus hadn't come yet and so like those people didn't like what if they didn't what if they didn't have a good opinion of God? Like, what if they got God wrong because they didn't know Jesus? And then Jesus comes and says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, God is exactly like me. Mm. But the people who wrote the Old Testament maybe didn't have that revelation because Jesus hadn't come. So what if, so like that, so then that, then my mind goes down these rabbit trails and I think, well, what if the people who said that God is this big, fat meanie in the sky, like maybe they were wrong. I I don't know. You know, it's just what I. Totally fair. Totally fair question. Yeah. Um, Janelle, were you going to chip in there? Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think Tori, we already talked about this maybe, um, but, you know, Jesus did have a very, very high level of respect for the Old Testament. If he would wanted to, he could have said, I mean, not that he would have, but he could have said, hey, uh, actually, this was wrong or this was wrong, but he didn't. He even uh, talked about Jonah, which I always think is really interesting because that's yeah. one that people point to all the time and say, well, that couldn't have really happened, but Jesus actually talked about it. Like, no, actually it did. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's different questions, Tori, and, and like they're valid and they're also like, um, they're like intermingled. Like it's really tough to just pull one out. But one question is, is it true? Like, is Jesus authoritative? Is what he says um, uh, about scripture true for us? And And if the answer to that is that it's true, then we have to deal with it, whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, and obviously that's a massive question that I don't expect you to have perfectly resolved right now. But, um, so that's one question. Is it true? The other question is what did he mean? Um, right. Uh, another question is, is God trustworthy? And I wonder if a lot of your struggles really have to do with just the idea of like, God doesn't seem too trustworthy when you read the old Testament, um, or, or even in the people in your life. And so, um, so uh just to just to speak directly to your question here um uh Jesus actually did come to fulfill the law and the prophets and when he did that he did it in a way that people were not expecting and that's part of the literary beauty of the gospel uh, the, the the bible as a whole um because i would argue that god was consistent throughout scripture um but but there's this idea of progressive revelation that God um, is not in the business of just doing a huge info dump on people, but rather that as time moves along and nations rise and fall, he's giving prophets and he's revealing piece by piece more about who he is. Um, 
And so that that's one of the literary themes that we have to look at through scripture, because you think about what did Abraham know about God, right? When God said, get up and go to a land, I'm going to tell you about it. And the answer is Abraham knew almost nothing about Yahweh at that point, um, other than he knew that God was speaking to him. Um, uh, so I think actually you're on to something, Tori, that, that there's a literary theme there that Jesus actually does come in significant ways to, um, to tell us what God the Father is really like. Um, but maybe one thing that I would, that I would uh, push back on, um, uh, and this is what Janelle and I talked about on our last podcast, is the idea that God uh, of the Old Testament is a big crabby meanie. Um, <laughs> I think, and you brought this up, Janelle, I think it's the best, one of the best books in the entire Old Testament is the story of Jonah, which I, I, you're probably familiar with, but but I've reread Jonah recently and it blows my mind. Jonah is the story of a, a human being who wants God to smite his enemies. And, uh, and God says, no, rather actually go preach to them so that when they turn around and they come back to me, I'll, I'll spare them. Um, and Jonah eventually does, you know, blah, 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 big fish, spit out, sitting under this tree that God made. And Jonah's waiting for the fireworks. He's like, um, he's like, okay, God, I preached the world's worst sermon. Like, there's no way they repented after that. Like, go ahead and smite them whenever you want. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? Shouldn't I have compassion on this city of thousands um, who don't even know their left hand from their right hand, let alone all the animals in this city? Um, and Jonah's response is one of the most telling responses in all of scripture. He says, I knew you were a God who is slow to anger. <laughs> and quick to kindness. I knew this would happen. Like, and he says, take away my life. It's better that I die than live in a world where you're this gracious and compassionate to my enemies. Hmm. Um, so that's in the OT. Um, uh, and I'm not going to pretend like there's not tough passages that, that I wrestle with as well in the Old Testament. But we, I think we have to look at it holistically. Um, and when we do, I actually find that we see a story of a God who's continually providing for the least and the lost and the most vulnerable members of society. The reason he created Israel was to bear his name on the earth and to protect the widows and the orphans and the fatherless. And, and they failed essentially. Um, but even when they failed, he goes along with them for hundreds and hundreds of years, warning them, warning them, warning them, Hey, I created you for this purpose. When you stop doing that, I, I will, I'll, I'll bring justice. I'm just, I care about widows and, and I care about vulnerable populations. And when you keep abusing them, you're doing the same things that the nations before you did. So, so anyway, gosh, sorry, that's a, that's a big rabbit trail, but I think God's character in the old Testament is actually something that, that we don't pay as much attention to, um, as we should. And I'll just add one last thing to our, one last thing. I know no, this, this is like great, yeah. massive already. Um, uh, literary genre uh, is massively important in terms of how we interpret scripture. Sometimes people will be like, so you take the Bible literally. And, uh, and I always just want to say, oh, hold up. Like, 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 what do you mean by literally? And what do I mean by literally? Because it doesn't make sense to, to like look at Song of Solomon and take it literally, like literalistically in the sense of, wow, there's a girl whose neck is like the Tower of Siloam. Like, that's pretty freaky weird, you know, or like... <laughs> Like, wow, it's like you hop like a goat, my beloved. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> like, that's weird. So like, so the, the term there is exegesis. And it's a, it's a proper understanding of what the author's meant to tell us about God. And so when we look at different Old Testament passages, actually good exegesis tells us 
that there are there are things people say and do in scripture that God is not like down with. He, he's not he's not prescribing this for us. Um, or if he is, he's doing it in a kind and gentle way. For example, I'm knee deep in the book of Job right now. And Job in anguish at having everything he loves taken away from him is furious at God. Um, and Job doesn't mince words with the Almighty. He he's like, he's like, you delight in in robbing righteous people of good things. You know, he he's like, you've turned my food into ashes in my mouth. Like, um, what is up with you, God? You know, Job like fire like fiery resistance to or, or not resistance it's it's um he's processing real grief and real anger mm. um and actually the purpose of job is that job is ultimately vindicated god says job um you're righteous in my sight and god rebukes anyway there's more to say about job because i think it, it applies to your story tori um that when job endures suffering his friends are like you must have done something to displease god and Job's like, no, I'm innocent. And at the end of the story, God actually comes down and says to Job's friends, shame on you, essentially, for, for putting that on my servant Job. He, he truly is righteous. And now I'll have Job pray for you so that I'll, I'll release you from my anger. Um, so there's so much to take away from that. But, but the thing about scripture that maybe is, is helpful here is that not everything someone says or does in scripture is prescriptive in the sense that it's it's our landing place it's what it's what we ultimately ought to do like like i do actually think that being angry at god um uh, yeah i want to phrase this in the right way being angry at god is not the way that god intended our world to work and yet god makes allowance for our fallenness and he and he loves us and is gracious enough with us to let us process that anger. And he actually, in some ways, encourages us to do that through books like Job. And so, so that applies to the Old Testament too, right? Just because someone did something in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it's like one for one correlation. Like, therefore, God says, do X, Y, or Z. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all really interesting. And it's like, it makes you want, it makes me think. Um, I think I still have some questions, but yeah, I mean, what you say is valid and true. I don't disagree with what you say. Just, just guess I just still have questions. You know? Yeah. No, how of course. You, how do you, uh, Casey, uh, just jumping in here. One thing that I've heard Tori mentioned a couple of times is how do you know that all the books that have come, especially since, you know, in the last 2000 years when they, I don't know if it was 200 years after Christ or whatever, when they put the canon together, like, how do you know that those are actually what was supposed mm -hmm. to be there? Because I think that sometimes, especially in seasons of doubt, we can feel like, well, how do I know this is actually all pointing back to Jesus? Like, how do I know that this book belonged here instead of the ones that they decide not to like, how do you reconcile that for for you? Yeah, really good question, Janelle. And, um, and it does require that we kind of turn on our brains and bring them to the game here. Uh, <laughs> uh, because there are uh, actually gospels that people have written that are not in our scripture. Um, so I'll get to that in a second. Like, so there's a few criteria we, we want to use. The first one is apostolic authority. Um, 
if the people who knew Jesus and walked with him and were commissioned by him to build the church, um, write something, uh, um, then that gets included in, in the canon. This is a question of the canon, like what's canon? Um, were uh, all the people who wrote stories that were all the people who were, were with Jesus and witnesses of Jesus are all their stories in the canon? Uh, um, do you mean like, were there people who hung out with Jesus, but, but they didn't, or, or yeah. Were there people who hung out with Jesus? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Cause like, I've heard a lot that there maybe were people like, I've heard a lot that Mary Magdalene had a lot to say, but like her words weren't included. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a valid question because stuff like that's out there. And I brought up those other gospels. So let's just tackle them now. I think uh, <laughs> we owe, we owe a huge, <laughs> a huge debt to the Da Vinci code for really propagating some of, you know, that movie that what's his face. Is it Dan Brown? Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. Dan Brown oh, wrote yeah. the Da Vinci code. And, and uh, I'm not saying that that's where you got this information necessarily, but I do think I that. I actually in, haven't seen that movie. <laughs> me neither. Truthfully, me neither. Um, I just know that like there's kind of pop theories that no serious scholar of new Testament, um, uh, Christian or otherwise, like non-Christian studying this stuff just for its literary value, discount most of those types of theories, right? Like we don't, we don't have a credible first century document or even second century document saying that Mary Magdalene, um, uh, reported anything. So, so the example I was going to bring up is the gospel of Thomas. So, so you, a couple hundred years after Jesus, you, we start seeing evidence that this gospel of Thomas is circulating and, um, and it's supposedly written by Thomas, the apostle who doubted, you know, um, but there's a couple problems with putting it in the same category as the scriptures or as the gospels and the, uh, the Pauline letters. Um, uh, and the first one is the time frame is way later. Just, just practically speaking, we, you know, we don't see these types of alternative gospels circulating at the same time. They're not as early, um, which is a big deal in textual manuscript um, analysis, right? Because we know if that, if that arose later, then it's far less likely that, that this person who's claiming to be Thomas actually had firsthand knowledge of, of Thomas, the apostle. But the second thing, and, and this is evident when you really dive into these texts, is that the gospel of Thomas is like whack. <laughs> it, it, it truly is bizarre. And, um, and it's bizarre in ways that we can trace to different um, uh, philosophies that were circulating at the day, like the Gnostics. So people will put the gospel of Thomas loosely in what the Gnostics believe. And so Jesus, it doesn't read like a firsthand account. Like when you read the scriptures, even the gospel of John, which skeptical scholars are, are prone to be like, eh, we don't know about John. Okay. But even in John, Jesus is like the author says, Jesus was walking in the shade of Solomon's columnade, which, um, which we actually found is on the South side of the temple. Right. And we know that like the shade from the sun at midday would have actually covered the, the ground where the gospel author is telling us Jesus is walking like, like really specific stuff like that that you couldn't make up hundreds of years later because Solomon's temple had been destroyed. Um, mm -hmm. Like, like intimate local details. Thomas has none of that stuff. And instead kind of is like, Jesus is like saying like cryptic Gnostic -y things. He's like making birds out of clay and like poof, like making them come to life. And like, it, it has none of the, um, none of the theological themes and none of the practical historical evidence that the earlier gospels do. Um, so, but in answer to your question, I think 
as Christians, if stuff like that were to turn up, um, we need to examine it with evidence, just like we would anything else, right? Um, we need to know, did the apostles have something to do with uh, influencing this work of scripture? Is it consistent with the themes that the earliest Christians were teaching? Um, uh, because the largest body of work that we have in our New Testament is straight from the earliest church, um, like some of the first generations there. Like Paul is talking about how many of the people he's writing to had had seen Jesus and, and had known him, right? And so, um, and he says some of them have died, some of them have passed away, because this was probably, uh, uh, you know, a decade after when he's writing 1 Corinthians. But he says many of them are still alive, um, uh, so there, there's tests like that. There's like empirical tests like that, that we can apply to scripture that let us know, Hey, was this written in the time frame? Did the early church accept this as scripture so that we can put our trust in it as well? Okay. <laughs> that's technical. That's a technical question though, too, but I'm, yeah, I'm glad you raised it. So yeah. Uh, most scholars and correct me if I'm wrong, but Christian or otherwise, totally believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth existed, right? Yes. And uh, that he was crucified uh, yes. by the Romans. And uh, yes. the big issue is the resurrection, right? That's the one thing that they know there's no body, but whether you call him Lord or whatever, it's a totally different story. But historically speaking, hands down, the majority of people that have studied this would say Jesus Christ actually existed. He had followers. This whole Christian movement got started and it disrupted yes. the entire world, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I have a, a friend uh, named John Dixon. Well, he, he gave some lectures at, at the ACA. Um, I think he'd remember me. Maybe not. John, <laughs> shout out to you if you're watching this. He's, a, he's an Australian scholar. He said one time, famously in a, a YouTube video, he said, if you can find me one uh, credentialed scholar in the classics or, or uh, history who will contend and put their academic uh, career on the line saying that Jesus didn't exist, I'll eat a page out of my Bible. Um, and he did it kind of just to throw down the gauntlet. And um, he hasn't eaten a page out of his Bible yet. So, um, but I think that challenge stays out there. So if anyone, if anyone wants to risk their academic career with a theory like that, you know, he's, he's ready to do that. So. Okay, friend, we're going to pause right there. We are having a pretty good conversation with Casey Lander and Tori Carpenter. And tomorrow we'll be listening to part two of a three-part conversation. You don't want to miss it. Please come back until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus... I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time. <laughs>